Well, good morning, everybody. I'm so glad you're joining us on Mother's Day. My name is Kim Thompson, and I'm thrilled we got to start with that song. What better song of truth to sing together than that one about knowing who the Father says I am. That's what counts the most. I love being a mom, and I'm so grateful for my mom. You know what I remember really well about being a mother is something that Lindsay just referred to when my kids were young, is when they would say, watch me, mom, watch me, mom, mom, mom. It would go on over and over again. And I know during our sheltering in place that some of you young moms are hearing that more than ever. You might be saying, Kim, you don't know how many times I have heard that just this morning, right? It may be so much that you can relate to this mom. This vintage painting goes to show that this is an age-old feeling that moms get. The caption reads, when your kid says, mom, for the 745th time, (laughs) her eyes are rolling back in her head. But the reason that these kids are yelling, mom, mom, it makes sense, doesn't it? It's because they are seeking to feel significant. And a mom is one of the very first people we ever go to, to know that we are seen. Isn't that right? To know that we are significant. That's why they say, watch me, watch me. And you know, today we are talking about all of us seeking our stronger significance and how It's because God sees us that we can know that significance, especially as we discover who he is in the name El Roy. That was given to him by a woman named Hagar when she had her own personal encounter with God. She called him the God who sees me. And we're going to look at the account of Hagar. This woman, Hagar, is revered by over 2 billion people walking this earth today. And they consider her mother of the faith. Perhaps no other woman besides Mary has more as many people honoring her as Hagar. You know, this interaction between Hagar and Elroy has some powerful truths and applications for us today. But the Bible can be harsh. It can be embarrassingly raucous and rude. You know, like a show on primetime television. I mean television. Because, you know, it's the story of humans. I like how scholar Laura Copley of Calvin Seminary says that this story is all about eyes. It's all about vision. She says, first, there's a wrong vision that prompts the mess. And then there's a God vision that enters the mess. And what results is a new vision on the other side. And we're going to find out what brings light to our eyes is learning how God sees you and how God sees me and what comfort that brings. We're starting in Genesis 16. So if you have your Bible handy, you can open there. And you know, it really helps us stay together. If you will open that link that leads to our message notes. And I just want to say, like Ron did, that Mother's Day is definitely heavy and hard for some of us. And I just want you to know that I'm thinking of you. You may be in a season of longing, of feeling like you are insignificant or maybe overlooked in some way. Maybe it is you're longing for your own child or maybe you're struggling with infertility or maybe you're still single or perhaps you've been through the death of your your child or maybe of your mother 
And I want you to know, I've been praying for you while I've worked on this talk because you might feel that no one sees your situation. You might feel overlooked or insignificant. And I just want to ask you to stay with me this morning because God is tender with you and nothing you are facing gets past him. Okay, so here, let's talk about the backstory. What Ron covered last week was about Abram and Sarai and how they had been given a promise by God that he would give them a family and that their offspring would become a whole nation. God called it his covenant with Abram. So we're going to pick up at Genesis 16:1, and at this point, this couple is still childless. It says, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Uh, we might say, whoa, Sarai, that's your plan? Well, in Sarai's culture, children are the clearest sign of a woman's worth. So what we find in Sarai here is the wrong vision. Her eyes are locked onto her womb. It's no surprise. She saw it as the sign that she was a certified person. Look at the incredible pressure on Sarai. She had, a, she had heard what God had promised her husband, Abram, but the rub was that God had not said, it will be through Sarai that you get your family going. See, they had just assumed it. But you know how long it had been at this point? Ten years. 120 menstrual cycles. Any of us who have been through even a year of infertility know the panic and the sorrow that can grip our hearts in that long wait. It can wear you out. So, as bizarre as this sounds to us, it's logical to Sarai. This was normal practice in their culture to give her servant to her husband as kind of a lower level wife. Now, Hagar, she wasn't asked her opinion, she was used literally used. Now, from our perspective, this is horrible. We casually read the word slave, but here we see it. Slavery is ugly. But this is a socially acceptable practice. So broken down, Sarah says, behold, look here, my slave girl. Perhaps I may be literally built up through her. Now, I just want to imagine Abram for a moment. This is how I picture the wise reply of a godly man who had just been given a rather radical suggestion by his wife, but who obviously has a firm grip on the direction of his household. Abram just simply said, okay, does that seem a little understated to you? I look at verse 2. It says, Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her, her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. Now, just a flyover perspective. God would use Hagar and this baby that she's carrying now to bring a powerful people into the world. We call them the Arab people. At times I have found myself thinking, if only Abram and Sarai wouldn't have taken matters into their own hands, we wouldn't have all this conflict we see now. But listen, 
It's because God kept his promises that we're going to hear that he made to Hagar that her descendants truly have had prosperous growth. God loves them. Do you know ethnicity is God's idea? And more and more today, Yeshua Messiah, who is known as Isa in the Arab world, is revealing himself in dreams and in visions to Arab people. So followers of Christ are increasing in number in those nations. But right here in this family, we see the plot is thickening. What's going to happen? Well, we're headed for trouble. Look at verse 4. When she, when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. See, now Hagar has everything her culture says certifies a woman. Everything Sarai ever wanted. I want you to look at how different and yet how alike these two women are. Sarah is old, rich, free, barren, the covenant insider. Hagar is young, poor, fertile, in bondage, the outsider. They are so different, but their eyes, their wrong vision is the same. They both are finding their significance in the womb. But the big question for you and me, of course, is what are we finding our significance in? Our culture doesn't require a woman to give birth in order to have value. Maybe for you, it's your appearance or your status or your house. Whether you're a man or a woman or a young person, it's a worthy question to ponder. Because listen, the way you see your life shapes your life. What is your vision of significance? Now, Hagar had it and she flaunted. She felt above Sarah. Because Sarai had the same perspective, she flips out and Abram chickens out. Watch this. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Listen to Abram. Your slave, not my second wife, is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think is best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Now, listen, commentators tell us that what we have here is Sarah beating Hagar. Whatever happened, we know that Sarah's treatment of Hagar was so harsh and Abram's neglect so cruel that pregnant Hagar is forced to flee into the desert. And she didn't just wander the neighborhood. No, she flees a hundred miles across forbidding barren wasteland from Abram's camp in Hebron to the parched backyard of Egypt. She is heading towards home. There's no water there. It's called Shur, S-H-U-R. It's translated the wall. There's no one who can pass there, especially a pregnant woman, alone, forsaken, no one to look after her or hear her cry. But she's not alone. Someone sees her and even calls her name. Look at verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar. Now listen. Have you ever heard someone call your name when you weren't expecting it? 
I imagine Hagar was stunned, just stunned that God noticed her. Here she is with her back against the wall and the God of the universe is calling her name. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Now, this angel, he is not talking about the walk from Abraham's house to this well. There's always a story behind pain. And God sees Hagar has a story. He's concerned for her. And when Hagar answers, I'm running away from Sarah, I listened to what happens. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. Go back. Are you kidding? Can you imagine the price of doing that? But I want to look from a bird's eye view at this woman's situation. See, God sees it clearly. And this is what we can remember about God's vision. My sense of significance is strengthened when I know that God sees my need. He saw Hagar's need. Here she is, a fugitive slave. A single pregnant woman has no business going back to Egypt. Headed out on her own, At the very best, she's always going to be looking over her shoulder. And at the very worst, she's going to be caught, maybe even killed. So actually, when God sent her back to where her needs would be met, that was because he saw her needs. God sees your need. In these days of sheltering in place, financial loss, no guarantees of what's ahead. See, life is filled with uncertainty now more than ever. But listen, God sees your specific need. You may have heard of Corey Ten Boom. She was a concentration camp survivor who watched while her whole family died at the hands of the Nazis. She had her sister Betsy at her side through the brutalities of the concentration camp. Now once, Corey got a cold. And her sister Betsy told her to pray and ask God for help. Well, Corey laughed. But Betsy prayed for God to give Corey a handkerchief. And it was a simple, practical prayer. And after she said amen, a friend arrived and gave Corey a gift of a handkerchief. How in the world did you know I needed a handkerchief? Asked Corey. Her friend replied, there was a voice in my heart who said, bring a handkerchief to Corey Tinboom. And Corey said, Can you understand what a handkerchief tells you in such a moment? That there is a father in heaven who hears it when on a very small planet, the earth, someone of his children prays for an impossible small thing, for a hanky. And that father in heaven tells one of his other children, give a handkerchief to Corey Ten Boom. I love how she says this. There's nothing too great for God's power. And there's nothing too small for God's love. See, God sees your need. He's paying attention. Like the Bible tells us to pour out all your worries and stress upon him and leave them there. For he always tenderly cares for you. What anxiety are you carrying on your soul that you need to turn over to God? Even if your future looks hard like Hagar's, will you allow the God who sees your need to have that worry? God saw Hagar's need. Now let's look again. He promises her a son. 
And more than that, he promises her son much of the same blessing that was given to Abram. Verse 10, the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael for the Lord has heard of your misery. You know, all that Hagar heard from that angel was mind-blowing. But I think what floors Hagar the most was that last part, that he saw her suffering. He saw her misery. In fact, the name Ishmael that that God gave her means the Lord hears. Every blow from Sarah, every blind eye turned by Abram, every abuse she suffered, the God of the universe saw it all. And this is what we need to remember. Not only does God see my need, but God also sees my sorrow. See, God sees those who feel like outsiders. He hears their cry. He sees their tears. Recently, a great man named Cy Rogers died. This is him with his wife, Karen. He was an amazing man who devoted his life to helping others the way he had received help from God. See, he'd suffered deeply through a childhood of neglect and abuse that left him confused about his sexuality. Many of us got to go and hear Cy speak, and it amazed me how vulnerably this man shared. I want to share with you you just a little clip from a talk he gave where he shared a pivotal point when he was with his therapist and how he turned the corner towards healing. Watch this. And so I was able to avail myself to counseling and walk this through with informed people. And I had good talk time to finally face these things I had never wanted to address before. And one day my therapist said an amazing thing. He said, you know, Cy, we have had good talk time. It has been useful to bring these things into the light and bring God into the equation in our conversation. But I think it would be great today, rather than talking, let's just invite the Holy Spirit to be present and weigh in on all of this. And I thought, well, that's a good idea. I don't know that I would have thought of it. And I guess God would be polite to show up when you invite him into such an important moment. And he did show up. How? In the form of a vision. And in that vision, he revealed himself to me as a father. And in that image as a father, I watched his face break and he wept over what had happened to me and what had been taken to me. And do you know why that mattered? Because no one had ever wept for me. No one had ever indicated to me that what happened to me mattered. Even well-intentioned Christians would say things to me like, when are you going to buck up and move on and let it go and forgive and put it behind you and get on with your life? And I wanted to get on with my life, and I was willing to forgive my abuser, and I did want to put it in the past, but before I let it go, now that I was finally facing it fully in its terribleness, before I just got over it, I wanted to know, did it matter to anybody? Because it sure changed my life, and not in a good way. And when you tell me to just get over it, you make me feel I I have no value. But in that image, when the Lord wept for me, he put his arms around me in that vision, and he said, your daddy sees it, and your daddy's sorry, and he wept. And it was the first time in two decades I finally found the wall come down of self-protection, and I could afford to feel and finally grieve and weep over what had happened, and that was the beginning of healing. Did you hear what he said? That was the beginning of healing realizing that God sees my sorrow. He weeps with me. He weeps with you. 
Maybe you can relate. Perhaps no one has ever wept with you over the pain that you suffered. Maybe this hits you in the gut because you feel alone too. And when Sai talked about getting a vision, you know that's real. Getting a vision of God right in the middle of your pain. Maybe today you need to see God weeping over what you suffered or the hand of God tenderly reaching out and gathering you in to hold you and wipe your tears to hear him say as your father, I know it hurts. See, there's comfort in knowing God sees your sorrow. He weeps with you. He wants your healing to begin Like that song says, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Now, watch what happens. With this God vision, Hagar responds in a way that makes her one of very few in the whole Bible. She gives God a name. She finds her tongue. Look at this verse. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. She calls him El Roy. And what she was saying is that this is about a two-way seeing. This is a two-way relationship. See, she's describing what God wants most from you. And that's a relationship. It reminds me of you and me right now. I mean, you're seeing me if everything is going as we hope. But I can't see you. And yet I trust that you are there. So I am relating to you as though you are there. And that's like Hagar. When she makes this great statement of belief and says, I have now seen the one who sees me. She's going, ah, you've been there all along and now I know it. So I'm going to act on this reality that you are there. And then she shows her trust by acting on what God told her to do. She traveled the hundred miles back to Abram and Sarai's house with a new perspective, a new vision. She is not just a womb anymore. Her worth isn't about one-upping her mistress anymore. She's been noticed by the God who sees her, who hears her, who finds her, who protects her. And the text suggests that the only reason she can go back is that she's keeping her eyes on Elroy. The household there with Abe and Sarah offers her enough provisions to carry her through a safe delivery of her child Ishmael. And we don't hear any more conflict from this household for the next 14 years. Abram loved his son Ishmael. He even circumcised him as a sign that as a father, he was committed to Ishmael fulfilling God's purpose and becoming a great nation. But finally, when Abram is 100 and Sarai is 90, Genesis 17 happens. It's like 25 years after God had first promised, and he speaks again. He tells Abram and Sarai that it really is through them, even though they're retirees, that it was really through Sarai's own body that God was going to keep his promise. He changes their names to Abraham and Sarah. And you know what they did? They laughed. And then Sarai, you know what she did? She covered it up. She said, no, I didn't laugh. Well, what did God do to that? 
Do you see the grace here? In effect, he laughs with them because he gives them a name for their miracle baby. His name is Isaac, and that means son of laughter. Now imagine the joy at Isaac's birth. When it's time for Isaac to be weaned, it makes for another big occasion, and now Hagar enters another dark season. I want you to watch the tension rise up, the cauldron of resentment that had been brewing for 14 years. Look at Genesis 21. The child grew, that's talking about Isaac, and he was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah, she saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian handmaid, had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. Hagar's misery isn't over. We've already talked about how God sees my need, how he sees my sorrow, but looking at this family, here's something else he sees. He sees my mistakes. He sees my sin. He sees my rebellion. Now, many of you are thinking, well, yeah, Kim, of course he sees my mistakes. Well, many of us have such an inflated view of God watching us this way that we might think of him as the great scrutinizer in the sky. I mean, you might even picture God like that grumpy lady behind the desk on that classic movie, Monsters Incorporated. I'm watching you, Wazowski, always watching. (laughs) But this scene... Watching Abraham and Sarah is a chance for us to see what God is like when we fail. Because you know what? This family's messed up. Have you noticed all the frailties and faults and foul-ups of these people? Supposedly these great heroes of the faith. This is why many people look at the Bible and say, what is this doing in the Bible? I mean, we're supposed to be reading about these exemplary people, but look, we've got slavery being condoned. We have women being demeaned. We have a father flaking out. We have a sassy teenager who is stirring the pot by mocking the baby. And now we have this woman who started the whole melodrama, sending a helpless woman and her child out into the desert to die. See, what we're in the middle of here is not a story of perfect, virtuous people. No, this is a story of God's grace intervening in the lives of people who have wrong vision, people who don't deserve it, giving them a God vision in the middle of their mess. The way Tim Keller says it is this, This is teaching us the very best human beings in the history of the world are moral and spiritual failures. Now, you know why that's life-giving to us? Well, you may think the message of the Bible is you give God a righteous life and then he owes you. (laughs) But actually, God comes to you, to all of us, always by sheer grace. And then we owe him God sees our need. He sees our sorrow and our mistakes. And then look at verse 11. When Sarah demanded that Hagar and Ishmael be sent away, the matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, don't be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. 
Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also because he is your offspring. So early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bowshot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. Listen, we can read this in such a detached way, but put yourself in Hagar's shoes. All she was focused on was the prospect of watching her son die. But she was forgetting something. She was forgetting the promise that she'd been given years earlier in the desert. What had the angel said there? That her son would become a great nation. Now, had God forgotten his promise to Hagar? See, this is a great moment for us to talk about on Mother's Day because the likelihood of God forgetting his promise to Hagar, in fact, the probability of God's memory towards you slipping is about as great as the chance that a mom would forget her own baby. That's what it says in Isaiah. It says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast? And have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. Now listen, some of us may have a mom who could forget you. And I want you to know that breaks my heart for you. But for most of us, our mom is about the most committed person to us that we know. I know my mom is. Hi, mom. That's why the big strapping football players on the, in front of the camera wave and say, hi, mom. See, it's because a mom doesn't forget. She treasures you. She remembers your accomplishments, right? <laughs> Last time I was at my mom's house, I found this memento in her stash. This is from my first grade year. It says, Kim Smith, wee wee, says the pig, moo moo, says the cow, cluck cluck, says the hen. <laughs> What is my point? Well, a mom doesn't forget. And that's the gravitas of God's promise in Isaiah 49. That's what makes this so profound. Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. God has you tattooed right there. There are over 7,000 promises for you in this book, spoken by God to you. And especially in these days when you might feel like you're alone in the wilderness, he says, hold on to my promises. That's why we're in this series, studying what his names mean for you. Because every one of his names describes his character. And that's a promise for you. He's not just El Roy or El Shaddai or Yahweh for these characters like they're something special. No, they're just receivers of grace like you and me. He says, I will be who I am to you. And then to bring the story home, God heard the boy crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, 
What's the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. God opened her eyes. Even when hope seemed lost to Hagar, she saw his presence and his promise and his provision. And you know, the same God who pursued Hagar in her distress is pursuing you today. You might feel like Hagar, that hope is a vapor. Will you open your eyes to this God, the one who sees you, the one who's eager to reveal his grace in the middle of your mess? Let me ask you, what do you see when you look at these letters? To your eyes, does that say God is nowhere? Or does it for sure say God is now here? What makes a difference? What's what you choose to focus on? And that has to do with what's going on in your soul. Can you say like Hagar, I have now seen the one who sees me? Many of you know Jessica, one of our most dedicated volunteers. This is Jessica, taken in January, just when she went to Uganda to see some of our friends there. She is often the one helping us produce this service. And listen, a couple weeks ago, she was literally run over by a truck in a parking lot here in our community. And I want you to listen. She's on the mend. She's healing. Listen to what she told me after coming home from the hospital. She said, I am indeed protected by his mercy. The accident could have been so much worse. My head, neck, brain, pelvis, and legs are all unaffected. It's my right side, and I am left-handed. I even somehow double-paid our property taxes, so there was a $2,000 check waiting for us when I came home. God is good. There will be difficult days ahead, but I know that my God who protected me will not abandon me. I feel overwhelmed with God's love. Listen, Jessica is a picture of this new vision we've been talking about. This is for all of us. The bottom line is this. New vision depends on the eyes of your soul. The ability to look beyond what's right in front of us. For Hagar, it was the wilderness. For Jessica, it's broken bones. To be able to look beyond and be able to speak these words of truth like Hagar did, I have now seen the God who sees me. God is now here. I want to grow a greater capacity to see like this. What about you? Do you want your faith to be your own? Not secondhand faith spoken by somebody else. If you're like me and you want to increase this capacity for the eyes of your soul to see God, no matter what is before you, then I want to invite you right now to join me in a prayer to the God who sees us. Let's pray together. Lord, this is the mind-blowing part of this pandemic to me that every person has a destiny to fulfill, that every life is significant to you. And I just want to pray right now for each person who is feeling like no one sees their pain. 
If that's you, maybe you'd like to turn this into your prayer. Thank you, God, for revealing yourself as the God who sees me, who sees my need, who sees my sorrows, who sees even my mistakes, and that you continue to lavish me with this amazing grace. In fact, uh, that song just keeps coming up. It talks about our blindness when we sing amazing grace. It says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And I just want to ask God that you'd make it so, that you'd give us eyes to see with new vision like Hagar did. And God, you showed Hagar a well. And we know on this side of history that you've shown all of us the well, the eternal living water of your son, Jesus Christ. And we ask that just like Hagar acted on her trust and went and drank from that well and gave water to her son, Lord, that you would show us how to drink, how to come to Jesus in simple childlike faith and take this water to ourselves. Help us to do more, Lord. Help us to take a swan dive into the depths of your love for us. And we thank you for being the God who sees us and who cares, who responds to us this very day. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.